0: Vince Lombardi is one of football's most accomplished and respected coaches. The Brooklyn native and Fordham University alum is known for his inspirational speeches and no-nonsense coaching methods that help transform underdog teams into successful winners. Good morning, I'm Robin Shannon, and on today's Fordham Conversations, author John Eisenberg discusses his new book, That First Season, and explains how Vince Lombardi took the worst team in the NFL, the 1958 Green Bay Packers, and set them on the path to glory. Talk to me about what you call Green Bay's pioneer days, just after World War One.
1: Well, the uh, Packers were one of the first franchises, uh, and I, that sounds awfully lofty. Uh, pro football, that's when it began, right after World War one and um, it was far from the uh, impressive billion-dollar enterprise that it is today. It was basically just a bunch of groups of guys in a lot of Midwestern towns, industrial towns that maybe he had played college football or even people, some people who hadn't played college football, just a bunch of guys who wanted to play and uh, they would get together and play in front of a crowd. College football was huge. They had uh, enormous crowds and was extremely popular. It was really taking over the country, but no one even thought of a pro game. So uh, they would play before maybe a couple hundred people and pass the hat so the players could get paid. And uh, the Packers were one of those teams um, they just uh, played a bunch of bunch of other little sporting teams around uh, Wisconsin and other places, so wasn't much of a thing early on
0: now in Green Bay, football fans, um, as you said, gave more than just lip service in supporting the teams, so uh, the Packers literally and financially survived because of that community support.
1: Yes, well, it's an it's a unique situation in professional sports, and it and it goes back to the very origins of the franchise in the 1920s. They were on the ropes, about to uh, about to to go down, and uh, the newspaper publisher in town and some business leaders said, "Well, why don't we turn it into a publicly held nonprofit, and uh, we will uh, uh, sell shares of stock and raise some money." to keep the team afloat so they held a stock sale and five dollars a share and a thousand people a thousand shares were sold raised five thousand dollars and they had the money to keep going this was in the 1920s
0: now explain to me why you called the packers november 2nd 1958 game against the colts their worst defeat
1: well it was a bad one uh the packers Had won a bunch of championships in the 20s, the 30s, and the 40s, had a nice history. They had fallen on hard times, um, and uh, they came to the, they were one of the worst teams in the NFL in the 50s, and they came to Baltimore to play the Colts and Johnny Unitas in the 50s, or in that day, November 2nd, 1958, and wound up losing 56 to nothing. So it's the worst defeat still in the history of the franchise.
0: And you talked a little bit about the coach also and uh, his lack of motivation, Scooter.
1: Scooter McLean is the coach, long lost in history, the name, uh, he's the coach who preceded Vince Lombardi in Green Bay. He was there for one year. He uh, He had been an assistant coach with the Packers, a good player, a halfback for the Bears in the 1940s came to Green Bay as an assistant coach, and he was the good cop on the staff. He was the guy that would play cards with the players and really not enforce discipline very much. Everybody liked him, so they gave him a chance in 1958 to be the head coach of the team, and he was still the good cop, and it wasn't working at all. And he was also really easy on them. Practices were not hard. So there was very little curfew, discipline, organization. There just wasn't much going on in terms of sort of anything you could enforce to force the players into line.
0: So this really was a case of nice guys finishing last, so to speak.
1: Yeah. Oh, terrific guy. And everybody, when uh, they fired him at the end of the year, he coached uh, one year, and they told him they only won one game in 1958, and long before that season was over, the— The executive committee uh, that runs the team uh, called him in and said, look, you're not coming back. Everybody was sorry about that. They all liked him and the players were sorry, but there was no doubt that it was not a real winning environment happening in Green Bay.
0: Now, in addition to Scooter's lack of leadership in those pre-Lombardi years, uh, why were the Packers such a defeated team? They seemed defeated both mentally and physically. They had a really defeated attitude.
1: Well, uh, the NFL was very different in the 1950s. Uh, those, like I, I said earlier, that it was a small town sort of league, uh, industrial town league in the 20s and the 30s. Those teams had died out, and pro football had become, uh, was on the way to becoming what it is today, which is a big city enterprise. Uh, the NFL was the New York Giants, the Chicago Bears, the LA Rams, the San Francisco 49ers, and uh, big Cleveland Browns, these are big city teams that played in big stadiums and were getting popular. The games were nationally televised, 70,000 people in the stands, millions watching. Uh, and, but there was no revenue sharing. Uh, you were pretty much on your own to, to come up with your money uh, to run the team, and Green Bay was being left behind. Uh, the New York Giants had a million-dollar local TV contract, and Green Bay's, I think, was $50,000 uh... they they were at a competitive disadvantage and uh... the packers had been able to, to when 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 it was still smaller town teams in the thirties and forties the packers could compete but by the fifties when it was all big city teams they were at a competitive disadvantage it was playing out on the field none of the players wanted to play there plus uh, you know it's not exactly uh... 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 miami beach it's uh... it, it gets pretty cold by november and uh, a lot of players didn't want to go up there so they just had a lot of things going against them. Uh, uh, free agent players didn't want to go up there. Uh, they didn't have the money for players, and they were just going out and getting waxed. And as a result, the franchise, the, the mindset of the players, and uh, in the locker room, was definitely a defeated mindset. They, they they really had no chance of winning a championship when the season started, and they knew that. So they would go out and play. They'd compete. They were professionals, but. Uh, it wasn't uh, a situation where they were thinking maybe we some great can happen and we can win.
0: Now um, to define the players a little bit, um, so we're saying that they they really weren't seen as the heroes uh, in some circles as they may be seen today. Yes, well, they're,
1: they're, they're, the media was not uh, they certainly didn't have the pervasive twenty four seven media today to sort of uh, turn them into heroes. They they were still stars. I mean, people, you know, I'm sure little kids uh, who were eight years old in 1958, they loved the New York Giants uh, just as much as maybe an eight-year-old today loves the New York Giants. Uh, There's some similarities, but uh, it certainly wasn't as easy to to know as much about them, and uh, they didn't seem quite so uh, larger than life.
0: This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon, speaking with author John Eisenberg about his new book, That First Season. It chronicles how football coach Vince Lombardi took the losing Green Bay Packers of the late 50s and turned them into a successful team. So now let's get into uh, the early days of Vince Lombardi and uh, him growing up in New York. He grew up in Brooklyn, played college football at Fordham, where he eventually joined the football staff, correct? That is correct. So let's talk a little bit about his before he moved to Green Bay days.
1: Well, uh, he was a great player, uh, but he was a tough guy. He was a little tough guy on uh, the the seven blocks of granite were the name of the line uh, that played for Fordham. Uh, And uh, that's when Fordham was winning a lot of games, had a good team, and uh, they were really one of the better college football teams, certainly in New York and in the whole East. And so they had a nice history going with football and Lombardi was a good student there and thought a little bit about what he was going to do. He thought about the priesthood and thought about being a stockbroker and, and eventually became a teacher. Uh, he started teaching school at St. Uh, at, at Cecilia's uh, uh, Prep School in, in New Jersey, and that's where he settled and, and really began his coaching career.
0: Okay, so he moved from New Jersey, and he ended up <clears throat> back at Fordham, correct?
1: I think the statistic, at, at eight years at St. Cecilia's, he won six state championships. He was immediately a very successful coach uh, at the high school level. He also taught history and coached baseball and he did everything you know uh, back it was i think for seventeen hundred dollars a year was his salary. He got married and and uh, was raising a family on teacher's salary wanted to i think he had lofty dreams he said well I'm, I think I can do more." He was a young man and he uh, uh, Got into college football ranks. College football, as I said, was a much, much bigger deal than pro football then. So he became, uh, he started, went back to his alma mater and started out as the freshman coach there. But after his two years at Fordham, uh, he took a higher profile college assistance job at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. Uh, so he still lived in the New York area but he would uh, uh, drive up and uh, and coach. He was coaching the team at Army. Army then was one of the best teams in the country, and their coach was uh, Earl Red Blake, Earl Blake, known as Red, and uh, he was a, a heavy influence on Lombardi. When you look back at Lombardi's history and where his philosophy came from, a lot of it came from his years at Army under Red Blake. Uh, Red Blake believed in fitness and discipline, simple football, not real complicated, and uh, making running a few plays perfectly uh, and not asking the players to memorize a large playbook. Have, keep the playbook simple, but run those simple plays well, block and tackle well, be in shape, and just be tough. And Lombardi really embodied that uh, or took on that philosophy from Red Blake And uh, so it really informed him heavily. And then after five years at Army, he moved on to the New York Giants, where he was an assistant coach there for five years also. Uh, And now he coached the offense of the Giants. And those are the two stops he made before uh, he moved on to Green Bay.
0: Now, John, talk to me a little bit about Lombardi's um, attitude uh, in your book that first season. You talk about how uh, during his time with the Giants um, and the pre-Green Bay time, he was so focused on football that he actually uh what he he even kissed somebody by accident
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes yes well i interviewed a lot of people about him in that era and they were they all had some pretty funny stories he was he was pretty focused on football he was into football and his mind was on a chalkboard x's and o's and and he would sort of get lost and there was one day when he was being driven to work by a friend and his wife marie was in the car with him and or maybe he was driving i think is what it was and uh, the friend was sitting next to him and uh and Marie was in the car and so he got to where he was going and uh up at West Point and he leaned over casually leaned over and he thought he was kissing his wife giving her a, a goodbye honey kiss and he kissed his friend <laughs> so uh he uh <laughs> he didn't even know who was sitting next to him because he'd been thinking about an offensive play or something like that on uh, on the drive up so his his head was he was very, very focused.
0: That's pretty scary, thinking he was driving also. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: well, uh, yeah. And there was another story where he came out of, at the end of practice one day at Army, he came out of the, uh, this is in the evening, and everybody was leaving, he walked out of the locker room without his pants on <laughs> because he'd been... Uh, thinking about uh, something, and he'd gotten dressed, forgot to put his pants on, and security guard said, Hey, Coach, you better go back in and put your pants on. <laughs> and so he, he did. <laughs> so he was pretty focused.
0: Now explain how he ended up getting the job at Green Bay.
1: Uh, he was not the Packers' first choice. Uh, they wanted to uh, make a splashy hire after Scooter had flamed out. And uh, college football, as I said, was a much bigger deal the biggest coach in the Big Ten out there in the Midwest, the biggest coach was a fellow by the name of Forrest Eveshevsky, who was a coach at the University of Iowa. He'd won the Rose Bowl a couple times. He'd won the Big Ten. He was a big name. The Packers went after him hard and said, oh, well, we'll get Forrest. He's the biggest thing going. So Forrest Eveshevsky was interested, uh, but uh, then he took uh, came to Green Bay, looked around. I think he was kind of shocked at how shabby the team was. and. And, of course, one win the year before. And he said, you know what, I'm not going to do this. I'm staying at Iowa. He turned them down. So it was only then that they turned to Lombardi. And they, Lombardi, uh, it's not like today where the uh, offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators in the NFL are like heads of state, you know, and we know all, everything about them and their big deals. Nobody really knew much about assistant coaches in the NFL but not and not fans or anything like that. Coaches were not name well known names. So the Packers were looking around. Who should we hire? Who should we hire? And and uh, the the executive committee asked some of the other big names in the league. Uh, you know, who do you recommend? And a lot of them said, "Go get this guy in New York, uh, Vince Lombardi, the offensive coach." Uh, so they kept hearing that name, and eventually they went after him. And uh, uh, Lombardi had turned down a job with the Eagles the year before because he uh uh was uh, the owner of the Giants had told him Wellington Mara the owner had told him you know if you go down there that's fine but uh they have meddling owners you're not going to like it so he turned down the Eagles so he was on the market and uh Mara said the same thing to him about Green Bay but uh Lombardi made sure that the owners wouldn't meddle with him and he took a signed a contract as both the coach and general manager. So there's really no one over him telling him what to do. So it was a good situation. And he wound up taking that job.
0: This is Fordham Conversations on WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon. I'll be right back with more from author John Eisenberg about his new book that first season and look at the early years of football great Vince Lombardi.
1: Hi, I'm George Boldarki. New York City is full of surprises,
0: and we love discovering them each week on Cityscape. It's a show we like to describe as an exploration of the people, places, and spirit of New York. Listen for it Saturday mornings at 730, right after Fordham Conversations. You never know what we'll discover. So let's start by kind of understanding Lombardi's coaching commandments and how he pushed the team to what you call chase perfection.
1: Well, the first thing he had to do was make sure that he was in charge, and he did that, and he announced that to basically everyone from the fans to the front office to the players. Uh, he established his
0: command
1: uh, more than anything. And, I mean, the, the, the owner of the team, uh, the head of the executive committee, was standing in the back of a meeting right after he'd gotten there, and he said, what are you doing here? And uh, the guy, you know, left. This is his boss. But he he said, these are player-only meetings from now on. You know, this is a team matter. And, of course, with each player, each and every player, he sat him down and said, this is the way it's going to be from now on. The country club is closed for business. Uh, You know, we're going to have tough practices. The curfews are going to be established and enforced. There's going to be lots of rules. And most importantly, you're going to be in shape. You're going to know your job. You're going to do your job. And uh, we're going to practice, practice, practice these simple plays until we we run them perfectly if you're not up for it let me know and there's there's trains leaving town all the time and you can be on one of them i'll send you somewhere else so it's up to you uh there was a lot of silences you know he though his his words were met by a lot of silences some shocked players but that was uh, his command and he established it very clearly to all people involved from the very beginning
0: and you even mentioned that one time after he had what, watched some film of the players that he actually, um, Lombardi actually came outside and, and asked someone to pray for him. He's a devout yep. Catholic, so he, that's how bad the team was.
1: Yes, his secretary, yes, he, he, he said, you know, please, <laughs> please pray. I don't know what I've done here. This was before training camp started uh he, he the first thing he did was look at the 58 season on film of course it was like you know nightmare on elm street to a football coach i mean one loss after another including that 56 to nothing game uh, there were days when he said what have i done taking this job this team is horrible on the other hand uh, the thing that encouraged him was he was as i said was also the general manager and when he would call other teams uh, to talk trade which people do in any pro sport he found that other people were interested in his players off this lousy one ten and 1 team. He said, "Well, Paul Horning," and they said, "Ooh, we'd like Horning." Or uh, Jim Taylor, the young fullback who was sitting on the bench. "Ooh, we'd like him." Uh there were a lot of players that that other teams wanted, so he thought he might have some material to work with.
0: He seemed to play that role of like that strict but loving father to the team, would you say?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, he, he for sure, he was hard on him, he yelled at him, he berated him, cursed him, uh, he was tough, but when, whenever he really uh, knocked someone down, he would come over and pat him on the shoulder and say, hey, listen, you know, we're all in this together, I'm, you know, I'm trying to make you good, and boy, you've got great talent, and uh, I'm just trying to get the most out of it, and, and he would pull him back up. So, yes, he was strict but loving.
0: Now, could you describe the difference between the Packers' last game under Ray Scooter and uh, Ray Scooter McLean and their first exhibition game under Vince Lombardi?
1: They ended the season uh, on a bad losing streak uh, in '58. They were just playing out. They were out in California. Uh, They ended the season every year in California with games in L.A. and San Francisco, and they just got creamed. Uh, and uh, the first game in training camp, you're saying, the exhibition game in 59, was against the Bears. Mm-hmm. And uh, was, the team had been transformed entirely, even though the roster was basically the same. Uh, all of Lombard after training camp, Lombardi's ethos had been put into play, so they were, ran simple plays, they ran them hard, they blocked well, they tackled well, they hit hard, they were in shape, and uh, uh, instantly they had been transformed. And so George Halas, who coached the Bears, knew it, and you know said to him, "Hey, you look pretty good." The Bears wound up winning the game in the last minute, but uh, the Packers—anyone could see they had been transformed.
0: And now they were a force to be reckoned with.
1: Yeah, I mean, they—they they, the Bears were better, but uh, the Packers were coming off the season when they won one game. So any any, you know, and when you're coming off a situation like that with a new coach, everybody's like, "Well, maybe we'll see some improvement." This was a lot of improvement. So, yeah, they were on their way.
0: And can you talk to me about what you consider the highlights of some of those exhibition games before we get into the uh, the starting games?
1: Well, they weren't necessarily memorable games, but uh, in all of those games, they competed well. They hit hard. The games were close. They had a winning, se- the winning preseason. They played six games, won four. So they definitely proved that they at least belonged.
0: Now, um, once the season began, the Packers actually won the first few games, but then began to slip. What happened?
1: Well, uh, they, did, they won their first three games, and uh, uh, that was just uh, uh, a revelation. Uh, they, they, won, they won their season opener against the Bears, uh, a huge victory, to this day considered one of the landmark games in Packer history, Lombardi's first game uh, against Hallis in Green Bay on a rainy Sunday afternoon. You know, they, they uh, were behind most of the game. It was one of those muddy bloodbaths, you know, and they came from behind to win in the fourth quarter, 9-6, to six, and the Packer players carried Lombardi off the field. And so it was a, a great start. And then they went on to win two more games, so they were 3-0. and oh, And uh, the real surprise of the league, but then they began to, uh, they, they, they were still young and the transition uh, was still being worked on. You know, they, the other teams had a lot of, I mean, you go on the road, you play Johnny Unitas, you go on the road, you play the New York Giants, and... A, you know tough schedule and so uh, they wound up losing 5 games in a row uh, it was the longest losing streak uh, in Lombardi's uh, career and it came in his first season it was a tough time i mean they won the 3 and everything was great and then they started losing and then they couldn't stop losing so 5 in a row uh, really tested his faith and tested the players faith in him and tested the fans faith in him it was a not it was probably the toughest time of his tenure in green bay
0: So summarize um, the end of the season feeling for the players and Lombardi that they had after this win-win, lose-lose-lose, but they still were a team to be reckoned with.
1: Right. The the, the arc of the story is, uh, you know, they win and then they lose, but then everything clicks towards the end of the season. Uh, He uh, inserts Bart Starr as quarterback, and uh, Starr, who'd had a dismal career until then, starts to play well, the team starts to win. And by the end of the year, they're out in California where they normally lose to end the season and they're beating those teams that used to beat them. So they really did have it going. By the end of the year, suddenly Paul Horning was the halfback, Jim Taylor was the fullback, Bart Starr was the quarterback, Boyd Dowler and Max McGee were the ends. And suddenly the outline of the team that would go on to dominate the NFL was in place within one year. Everything had changed about the Packers, their attitude, their discipline, their fitness, and, uh, uh, you know, he had put the right personnel in place, and they were ready to uh, to become the force that they would be that very next year.
0: So tell me about Lombardi's um, time with Green Bay up until he ended up leaving.
1: He went on to coach through the 1967 season, successful would be an understatement. Uh, under Lombardi, the Packers won five NFL championships. Uh, and they won. They won in sixty one, sixty two, then sixty five, sixty six, and sixty seven. And uh, they won uh, the pro football was changing, and uh, uh, the AFL was coming in, and the, for, the Super Bowl began. And they won uh, the as the NFL champion. They represented the NFL the first two years in the Super Bowl and won them both. So five ch- league championships, two Super Bowls, and then he retired. He was uh, went out on top. He said, I, "I'm." done it all here and I'm burned out because of the nature of the business and because of the growth of the business and the corporate structure of the Packers I believe it is impractical for me to try to do both jobs and I feel I must relinquish one of them fortunately I have had a very capable and a very loyal assistant he has been with me since the beginning in Green Bay I am positive that under his leadership and under his direction Green Bay football will continue to be excellent. Green Bay football will continue to grow, and Green Bay football will be everything you want it to be. Gentlemen, let me introduce to you now the new head coach of the Green Bay Packers, Mr. Phil Benson. He became the general manager of the Packers, spent a year in the press box watching the games, uh, you know, left the sideline, and uh, found that he didn't like that, and the Redskins came after him. Edward Bennett Williams is a big law- lawyer in D.C., and the Redskins, uh, they, Edward Bennett Williams offered him a 5% ownership stake in the team, and that really spoke to him. So between that and the chance to move back to the East Coast and a new challenge, uh, he, he wound up coming to the Redskins and had done the same thing in Washington. They had a winning season. They were on their way when he was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, uh, really sad he passed away within four months.
0: So now Lombardi's tactics basically were really simple. You know, he he knows the game. He has a relationship with the team. He mixes it with, you know, discipline and criticism and encouragement. So what legacy did he leave? What made him any different than why wasn't this a formula everybody used and everybody won?
1: Certainly when it comes to tactics, uh, a lot of coaches like things more complicated. They like to trick you. There's a lot of different ways to coach football, and a lot of people like, uh a lot of people like sort of uh, being uh, tricky Lombardi is just the opposite it's like he virtually announced what they're going to do and it didn't matter because we're just going to execute it better that's you know not a style for everybody what he also did is just refuse to accept anything less than uh, the best i mean he was just uncompromising and maybe some coaches aren't that way uh, uncompromising though in a way that uh, Jerry Kramer, for instance, the offensive lineman, said, you know, I thought I was giving him my all, and then he asked for even more. And so you just had to keep giving more and more and more. And, uh, you know, maybe some coaches don't really know where that line is of what they can get out of the players and also how to keep coaxing more, more out of them, that whole yo-yo that we talked about up and down. He, he had an, a rare ability there.
0: Yeah it seemed like he had to he was continuously balancing the defeated attitude with one of self-satisfaction. So sometimes they would win, they'd get a little too self-satisfying and then they'd would lose and then they'd beat themselves up and say, "Oh, we're falling back into what we, you know, were pre-Lombardi years."
1: Right, he was uh, I think what's very telling is that he was much much happier after a after a defeat than a victory he was always much harder on them after a victory you know you, we have to do this we have to do that don't get smug and then after a defeat when maybe the players were down a little he'd say look you know we played pretty well here's what we did right let's correct these things so he was a real psychologist
0: so now can you tell me how um... what inspired you to even get into this the subject of of lombardi and why the first year
1: well uh, i'm a football fan and sports writer and a historian, and I'm familiar with the Packers, and I just came across some research uh, where I just couldn't believe when I, I mean, I'd read the books and seen the films, all the famous games that they won, and I thought, well, you know, that's, that's terrain that's been covered, but then what really spoke to me was when I saw that all these great names were on that 58 team that won one game, uh, Starr, Taylor, Horning, all of them, I thought. I bet you there's an untold aspect of the Lombardi saga, and that's the turnaround story at the beginning, not as well known, but yet dramatic, incredibly dramatic, and full of I thought what would be you know personal stories of turnaround from these guys who were confronted by this this man for the first time. So uh, I thought, well, there's some. I always look for a story with some edge to it, some human drama, and I felt that would have it.
0: And you said you had to, uh, in your research, you talked to his son. Uh, Who else did you talk to who had really good insight on Lombardi?
1: Well, I tried to get every player on that team that was still alive. Uh, They're in their 70s now, and a lot of them are still around, and uh, uh, some aren't, unfortunately. But uh, uh, Bart Starr I interviewed, Paul Horning, Jim Taylor... Uh, Gary Knafel, the tight end, Uh, a number of the offensive linemen, uh, Bob Skoransky and Norm Masters. Uh, Most of these names are lost to history uh, other than some of the real famous ones there, Boyd Dowler, the end. Uh, So uh, anyone who was on that team, uh, I tried to get to as many in person as I could, but uh, did some on the phone, and, uh, you know, it was very enjoyable uh, to talk to these guys. They all had a lot of memories of Lombardy. It's, uh, it was a book that I really enjoyed writing, and uh, I hope uh, that uh, people will enjoy reading. Uh, you know, there's a lot of layers to Lombardi and his legacy and his history, and uh, hopefully people will find something in there that's entertaining for them.
0: Thank you so much. Okay. bye Bye. My thanks to John Eisenberg, author of the new book, That First Season, How Vince Lombardi Took the Worst Team in the NFL and Set It on the Path to Glory. And now you can follow Fordham Conversations on Twitter or become a friend of the show on Facebook. And as always, you can hear the show again in the WFUV audio archives. Next week, Mary Wilson will be your host. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon. Stay tuned for Cityscape with George Bodarki on 90.7 WFUV.